0: Good morning and welcome here. Let's praise our God together in singing.
1: In the morning, Lord, we do look to you For the strength we need just to make it through Have mercy
2: In the evening, Lord, we look back and say It was in your
1: strength that we made our way Have mercy You In the morning, Lord, we to look to you for the strength we need just to make it through. Have mercy. In the evening, Lord, we look back and say it was in your strength that we made our way. Have mercy.
2: You
1: are everything we need. Feed us, Lord. No oh.
3: Good morning. You may have noticed an all-male worship team behind me. The ladies are, uh, yeah, go ahead. They did a great job. There is a ladies' retreat, and so a number of the ladies from our church family are currently at Pinewood Lodge enjoying um, some worship time there together as well. Well, we are gathered as a church family, and we are here to worship God, to honor God, to connect with each other as well. So let's take a few moments to greet each other. I encourage you to find someone you don't know well or haven't seen in a while. We are still currently in our series called How to Read the Bible. We've had different speakers join us, and this morning we welcome Andrew Dick here, who will be bringing us the message later. He's a professor at CMU, but this morning he's also grandpa, so I think that's also a very enjoyable role. (laughs) The first Bible verse I remember memorizing is from the time I went to Pioneer Girl's. Now that dates me. I don't think Pioneer Girls is around anymore. So does the version that I learned the verse in. I may have learned others before it, but this one stands out to me, and it comes from Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. The Bible is full of light metaphors, and this one reminds us that scriptures can serve as a light on our path, a light shining the way that we walk in our lives. Bruxy Cavey, a pastor from Ontario, says that we read the Bible so that we can follow Jesus better. I like that. It's practical and a very good reminder. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, that the Bible does so many things for us. It comforts us. It challenges us. It gives guidance and direction. And Lord, as we engage with the Bible, we grow in our faith and in our knowledge of who you are. And we are here this morning, Lord, to worship you through song, through prayer, and through the reading and teaching of your word. We pray, God, that you would be honored and also that we would have hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue to worship in song, so I would invite you to stand. And also the kids can come forward and worship with the instruments right over here on this side of the sanctuary.
1: the ancient words impart. Words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. In this world where 'er we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, Changing me, changing you, we have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. Holy words of our faith, handed down to this age, came to us through sacrifice, oh, he. The faithful words of Christ Holy words long preserved For our walk in this world They resound with God's own heart Oh, let be ancient words impart Ancient words ever true all oh, that the ancient words impart. Before you spoke it to me You were the King of kings Yeah you were, yeah you were And now you're reigning still Enthroned above all things Angels and saints cry out We join them as we sing Glory to God Glory to God Glory to God forever Glory to God Glory to God, glory to God forever. Creator God, you gave me breath so I could praise your great and matchless name. All my days, all my days, still let my whole life be a blazing offering. A life that shouts and sings the greatness of our King. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. We sing Glory to God, Glory to God, Glory to God forever. To God, glory to God, glory to God, forever, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, forever, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, forever.
0: God reveals himself to us perfectly through his Son, Jesus, the Word. John 1, verses 1 to 3 and 14 says, In the beginning the Word already existed. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son, the only Son of the Father.
1: There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a life overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that binds us. Jesus, Jesus, who walks on the water, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire beside me? He roars like a lion, he bled as a lamb, he carries my healing in his hands. Jesus. There is a name I call in times of trouble. There is a song that comforts in the night. There is a voice that calms the storm that rages. Jesus, Jesus, who walks on the water, who speaks to the sea, who stands in the fire beside me. He roars like a lion, he bled as a lamb, he carries my healing in his hands,
2: Jesus. Messiah, my
1: Savior, there is power in my Redeemer there is power in
4: your name
1: in your name you walk on the water, you speak to the sea you stand in the fire beside me you roar like a lion you bled as a lamb. You carried my healing in your hands. You walk on the water. You speak to the sea. You stand in the fire beside me. You roar like a lion. You bled as a lamb. You carried my healing in your Jesus, there is no one like you, Jesus, there is no one like you. Finding myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's so okay. The last thing I need is to be heard. But to hear what you would say. Word of Godspeed. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty? To be still and know that you're in this place, please let me stay at rest in your holiness,
2: word the God
1: speak. Finding myself in the midst of you,
2: beyond the music, beyond
1: the noise. All that I
2: need
1: is to be with you, and in the quiet, hear your voice, word of God speak. Washing my eyes to see Your majesty To be still and know That you're in this place Please let me stay and rest In
2: your holiness
1: and Finding myself At a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay.
0: You may be seated.
3: Normally, we would dismiss for supervised preschool playtime. There is preschool playtime, but it is not supervised. Now, that does not mean the children are in there alone. It means parents, <laughs> parents, grandparents, guardians, please stay with your children. You're welcome to use this space, but there are not planned supervisors this morning. Also, uh, if you require a Sunday school schedule for kids' ministry, family ministry, they are now available at the Connect Center. And also, another reminder, we are in this series, as I mentioned, on how to read the Bible. We also have a, a bunch of Bibles at the Connect Center for you to give away to someone. So if you yourself don't have a Bible, you are welcome to ask for one of those. Or if you have a friend or a family member or coworker co-worker who you think would be blessed by having a Bible, please get one from the Connect Center and give it to them as a gift. So we have quite a bit of people news this morning, and I think it's valuable for us to hear this and to ask ourselves, how would God have us respond? And so I'm going to go through quite a few different pieces of people news in the order that I received them this week. And as you hear them, we can't all respond to every one of these needs. I'm aware of that, but if God tugs at your heart when you hear one of these one of these announcements, and maybe try and make a point this week to connect with that person or encourage them, send them a note, an email, a call, or some kind of practical help. Charlene Epp has requested prayer that she would remain healthy and be able to have her surgery on the 28th of January, which is this Tuesday. She's been feeling a little under the weather, and she has to be well for surgery to go forward. And so that is her prayer, that the surgery can go forward without complications, that the doctor can assess and remove all of the cancer, as she is hoping for no further treatment. And she has thyroid cancer. Jenny Priest, her sister, passed away this past week, Helen Reimer. And so our condolences to Jenny and you may recall that Jenny just lost her husband earlier this month, and so it's been a tough time for Jenny. Lily Paul has been diagnosed with cancer and will undergo further treatments. She asks that we pray for strength and peace and for God's healing touch. Agnes Koop had surgery this past Thursday. Her surgery went well, and in fact, she's recovering at home. She called me this morning to let me know that she's at home, but let's continue to pray for her as she recovers. Our condolences go to Gisela and Carl Carl Wieb as they mourn the loss of Gisela's father, Hans, known as John Dahl. And the funeral was yesterday at the Springfield Heights Mennonite Church. Betty Volgamut and Martha and Jake Regeer condolences to them Betty and Martha's sister Nanny Reimer of Steinbach passed away this week and lastly Nettie Dick a charter member of our church and the mother of Ron Dick passed away peacefully on Friday January 24th after many years of declining health she is survived by her son Ron and his wife Irene Dick her daughter Melinda and her husband Robert Heidebrecht her son, Victor Dick, seven grandchildren, and eight grand, great grandchildren. She was predeceased by her husband, Wally Dick, in the year 2000, and the funeral will be at Friends Funeral Chapel on February the 3rd at 11 a.m., with reception and interment to follow. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. I know that's a lot of news a lot of people news. A lot of people in our church family are walking through a difficult season in their life, and so let's pray for them. And as God prompts you, reach out to them with words of encouragement or perhaps a practical demonstration of some kind of your care. If your family is going through something, we encourage you, we ask you to contact either myself as the community care pastor or one of the other pastors or the office so that the information can be either we are made aware of it as staff or also to put it in the bulletin or on the prayer chain. And so let's just continue to just care for one another in these difficult times. So I'd invite you to stand with me as we go to time of prayer. So stand if you're able, if you're not, that's okay. Stay seated. Let's pray. Lord, you have examined our hearts and know everything about us. Lord, you know when we sit down or stand up. You know our thoughts even when we're far away. God, you see us when we travel and when we rest at home. You know everything we do. You know what we are going to say even before we say it, Lord. You go before us and you follow us and you place your hand of blessing on our heads. Lord, we pray for our church family. We pray that as the women return from the retreat today, we pray for their safe travels. And Lord, we know that many hearts here are hurting this morning. Many among us are feeling uncertain, perhaps anxious, and wondering what does the future hold. God, many among us are grieving. And we know that grief does not have a fixed timeline, and that sometimes it pops up when we least expect it. And so, God, we pray for Charlene and Lily and Agnes, who need your healing. We pray for Jenny and Carl and Gisela, Betty, Jake and Martha and Ron and Irene, who are all grieving. God, we pray that you would comfort those who need comfort, For we know that you are a God of comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that you have given us. And Lord, we know too that many in our city are hurting. There is homelessness and poverty and addiction and brokenness of all kinds. Around our country and around the globe, there is injustice and war and sickness. And God, sometimes it feels so overwhelming and we think that there's nothing we can do. So, Lord, give us hearts that are sensitive to the small things that we can do. Lord, each of us can do small things. We can bring light to our corner of the world, and so we, we can pray and we can love others. And so, Lord, just remind us of these things, we pray. Lord, may we represent you well. May we recognize where we have opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us follow Jesus well, as individuals, but also as a faith community. God, help us follow Jesus well. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I invite the musicians and the ushers to come forward.
0: Let's prepare for communion and sing Behold the Lamb.
1: Behold the Lamb who bears our sins a slain for us.
4: And we remember
1: the promise made for all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this prayer of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace
2: around the table of the king.
1: The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life, paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of His sacrifice as a sky of our bonds of love
2: around the table of the King.
1: The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained this cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace. Around the table of the King, And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond. And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ. As His body here on earth, as we share in His suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again, and we we'll join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King around the table of the king.
4: Scripture reading is found on page 376 in your Pew Bible and that's Nehemiah 7:73 7, to chapter 8 verse 12. I'll repeat that. Page 376. Nehemiah 7:73 7, moving on to chapter 8 verse 12. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers in the temple, servants, and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So, on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for this occasion. To his right stood Mattithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah. To his left stood Pedea, Mishael, Malkijan, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodea, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah, then instructed the people in the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for all the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued Go and celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words, and they had understood them. The word of the Lord.
5: In 2006, our family had the occasion to spend a month in Africa. It was our first overseas trip. And we were sponsored by some people in our church. And of that trip, two weeks were spent in Uganda, where we were on a team, a short-term team sent by MB Mission, now Multiply. And we were there working in partnership with uh, men and women from several Ugandan churches. And on one particular Sunday... We were at our hotel, and most of the people were going by the minivans to wherever churches they were going, but we needed to go to a different church. Together with all our instruments, we had a trumpet and a guitar and a violin and all our books and papers, where we were going to, because we were going to provide music at that church as well as do some teaching. And so we, of course, di- didn't know the town. I think it was the town of Mbale and uh, we needed help. How were we going to get from the hotel? That's our team there at the hotel. And how were we going to get to the church? But, of course, we were well in hand by our team leaders, and we were instructed to pay for the service of five Bora Bora's. Bora Bora's, where we were in Uganda, were uh, bicycle taxis, um, originally used on the border between Kampala and Uganda, known as Bora and so we all piled on with everything we had. The each, behind each bicycle, there's a kind of a 10-inch square platform seat padded, usually covered in orange fabric with tassels and so on. You sit side-taddle on the back of the bicycle. And uh, so there we went, sailing along through the streets of a quiet Sunday morning town and sort of swayed up eventually to the church where we needed to arrive. And, of course, it was because of the expertise of our boda boda drivers that we got to the right place at the right time They had transported us from our hotel over there to the church over here, and we were able to enjoy the choir singing, I think, yes, that's the church choir, and uh, proceeded to contribute to the service. Denver's invited me to speak to you this morning about how we travel from the long-ago stories of Scripture to the here and now of our lives here. I'm just going to interrupt for a minute. I'm going to need to switch to the pulpit mic. My earpiece is falling off here. There we go. So I've thought then I would simply title the sermon From There to Here and consider how do we do this traveling to get from the wonderful words of scripture that Karen talked about to the present realities of our life today. So thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I've spoken here on some occasions in the past um, by way of quick introduction. Uh, my wife Martha and I have been back in Winnipeg now for seven years. Uh, Martha is music elementary school music teacher and uh, we um, enjoy our family, both uh, Theo and Jenna and their kids here as well as our family in BC and we travel back and forth quite a bit. I have the privilege of teaching for Mennonite Brethren Seminary. They are the ones who hired me to teach in partnership with Canadian Mennonite University and I just came back last night from spending a a 24-hour retreat with a group of students from CMU and MB Seminary we were on a retreat with uh, 12 students who were all looking at the possibility of church ministry. We had a few graduate students, mostly it was undergrads, and we had a really wonderful time listening to their stories as they're discerning what God's call is in their life, whether it's for ministry in the church or all kinds of other ministries, as God calls each of us to serve. This semester I'm teaching a course on pastoral care and a course on discerning vocation and calling, as well as uh, and one undergraduate course which I teach periodically on exploring Christian spiritual life. I'm working with one student on a course on mission and evangelism, and I'm working on a, another master, with another master's student. She's doing a thesis on theology of mental illness, how to live with bipolar disease in particular. So I have wonderful work, uh, great students I get to work with, and I'm always aware that the work we do of developing leaders that, at schools like CMU and MB Seminary, it's a very long-term process. It can take years till students, even after they've graduated, find their way and their place in life and in the world and in service of God and the world. And so we count on churches and individuals like you to provide long-term support for this long-term work that we do. We need long-term investors. And so I thank you as McIver Church. You've been regular supporters for a long time financially, for MB Seminary in particular, and you've also sent students both to seminary and to CMU. And so I thank you for that. Um, just a word about MB Seminary if you've been following the news in the last year in the MB Herald MB Seminary through the very generous donation of some donors is on a two year life support system so that we continue and we need to raise an additional $300,000 every year from now on to be viable for the future and so if you as a church are able to be part of that we would welcome that our church conferences are asking churches to see if they can give 4% of their receipts for the work of MB Seminary so I invite that for your consideration and thank you for your help but now back to our scripture today. From there to here. From the meanings in the Bible long ago to the life we live here and now. Whatever we do in scripture, we are always interpreting what we read. The Bible is a library of books written in various times and various places in different languages which need interpreting and explaining for us. So that we, And it's the interpretation that moves us from there to here. When I was young... We sang a very short song, I remember, as a child, and it began something like, The joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't remember the tune exactly, I just sang it badly, but we repeated that line four times. And it comes right out of this passage in Nehemiah. Because it's the words that Nehemiah said to reinterpret what the people thought they understood in the ancient scriptures that they were reading. Here's a little bit of background to the story that we just heard. From the 11th century to the 6th century before Christ, God's people in Canaan lived under kings. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam. The kingdom split into two halves, but then they had different kings in the north in Israel and in the south in Judah. That went on for a few hundred years until the northern kingdom was destroyed and conquered by the Assyrians. In the 8th century, the southern kingdom lasted 200 more years until the Babylonians came at the beginning of the 6th century. And in three deportations, they removed many of the Hebrew people from their promised land and took them to Babylon and destroyed the city and its temple in Jerusalem. But within a century, less than a hundred years later, by the end of that sixth century, the Persians over, overtook the Babylonians and the new king, Cyrus of Persia, said, you Hebrew people can go back home again. And the people were led by Ezra, who was a Bible scholar and a priest, And they were led by Nehemiah, a government official, and they were allowed to go back. Some of them stayed in Babylon, but many of them went back to Jerusalem, the surrounding areas. They rebuilt the temple first and then the wall around the city. And I just read an article in the last month that they found some of Nehemiah's wall in the archaeological digs in Jerusalem. You've got a little picture of it there where he built on top of the old partially destroyed wall and built it up in, in a kind of a bit haphazard way. It looks a bit like a pile of rocks to us and uh, that's part of Nehemiah's wall. When the work was done and the people were resettling in their towns, it was then on the first day of the seventh month, or what we would now say roughly in part of October, the people gathered to hear the law of Moses. They had just spent roughly 70 years in Babylon, about the same time as the existence of the Soviet Union, for instance. And during that time, they'd been unable to sacrifice and worship that way. And so more and more emphasis was placed on being a true follower of God, by obeying the laws of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so now this public reading of the scriptures that they had come to love in a greater way was a really big deal. And so they built this high wooden stage for Ezra and the 13 of his companions. And it's notable that the stage is outside the water gate because that means the stage was not in the temple. Because in the temple only certain people could go. But this was outside the temple. Everybody could come. We read the women, the men, and everyone old enough to hear and understand, was able to be there and hear the scriptures read. And to begin, they all stood in respect for God's word. Ezra pronounced praises to God and the people said, amen, amen, we love the Lord and we want to obey what he says. And then they bowed in reverence before God and now they were ready to hear the word and it went on for a really long time. They heard the scriptures for, I don't know, six, seven hours, however long it took in October to get from sunrise to lunchtime. And we're told that there were 13 Levites who helped the people understand what they were hearing. Levites were not priests, but they were worship assistants. I'll call them liturgists. They were helping with the liturgy of the people. And they went, maybe they traveled through the crowd. Maybe they circulated. Maybe they, we don't know exactly what they did, but they helped explain what the people were hearing. And then the people understood. They had sinned. Their ancestors had sinned. That was why God had removed, allowed them to be exiled, deported. They themselves were not living the way God intended because the law of Moses shows how to live and be really alive instead of living into death. And so the people were cut to the heart and they wept and they mourned and they realized they needed to turn away from their false gods and follow the true living God. But then Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they kept on doing their work of interpretation. They said, no, no, no. You don't need to be crying today. This is a really good day. This is a good thing that you're hearing here. You don't need to mourn. You should be getting the very best imaginable food, the most expensive stuff you've got. You should find the really best drinks you have. You should share it with the people who don't have. And you should spend the day celebrating because this is a fabulous day because the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is full of joy over you. And you should be celebrating on this day, not mourning over your sins. And so the people did. They celebrated... They had the most happiest kind of day they could come up with. And then if you keep on reading in Nehemiah, they also then implemented other parts of what they read. They started having the holy days that they were taught in the Law of Moses. They were tithing. They were starting to keep the Sabbath and so on. All because they had received good interpretation of what the Scriptures meant. Now I recognize that sometimes people today say, well, I don't need to interpret the Bible. That just makes it too complicated. I read it and I do what it says. I read it there's a saying, another saying from when I was a kid God said it, I believe it, and that settles it and there's something faithful and wonderful about that and yet there's also something naive about that because we can't read anything in the world without interpreting it and let alone the Bible just to give you one example of that every time we read the Bible unless you are familiar with the ancient languages of the Hebrews, Koine Greek or Aramaic, we are already reading an interpretation because someone has translated these words Someone who was an expert had to take those ancient words, which we don't know, and they took them and put them into a form we could understand. You've got the New Living Translation in your pews. I'm using a new Revised Standard Version just in English alone. We have all kinds of translations, each guided by slightly different principles of interpretation so that we can all get to understand the sense and the meaning of what those ancient texts from hundreds and thousands, or rather thousands of years ago, mean for us today. We are dependent on interpretation for anything we read. And so it's a little naive to say that we just read the Bible and do what it says. There's already been interpretation before we get the Bible, and then we have to make sense of it. There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, and so we need some help, and, and we're going I want to talk a bit about that today, because this library of books and letters that we call the Bible, it needs interpretation to, for us to get from the there of back then to the here and now of today and so we're always interpreting when we read or hear the bible i want to pause a little bit and, and step aside from our scripture today to just honor the fact that in fact this notion of interpreting sounds a bit threatening it sounds a little daunting and sometimes it feels like well if i have to do all that work of interpreting is the bible actually accessible to me um is it really maybe it's just for those experts that doesn't seem right so maybe that notion of interpreting just muddies the water So I want to talk about that a little bit. Six years ago, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada commissioned a study on Bible reading among Canadians. So six years ago, it it was published in 2014. You can look it up online, The Canadian Bible engagement study. It's got a YouTube summary and and there's all kinds of documents. Six years ago, 14% of Canadians, so one in seven Canadians, read the Bible once a month or more. That's all. And that's half of what it was in 1996. In less than 20 years, the number of Canadians reading the Bible had dropped by half. And it's the same whether it's looking at young readers or old readers. And even in the church, this survey found that that almost 80% of people in churches do not have confidence that the Bible is the word of God with relevance for modern life. And only 11% of Christians even talk about the Bible outside of Sunday morning services. And I'm wonder, I've been wondering since I read those stats why is Bible reading in such decline in the church, never mind in Secular Society of Canada. And I'm thinking that maybe one reason is that we've started to see the Bible as being too complicated for us. Let me just give a little illustration of what I mean by that. Um, if we look at churches around our city, we recognize it's pretty easy to find that the churches emphasize some different things in the Bible. We don't all agree about everything, so we have some churches with Christians that we love and trust, and they practice infant baptism, and we practice believer's baptism, and yet both churches consider themselves to be following the Bible. One church teaches their members to support and even join the military, and other churches say that we should practice nonviolent peacemaking, and both churches say that they follow the Prince of Peace. One church says we should have strong authoritative church leaders with centralized decision making and another church says the decision making should be diffuse should have a flat hierarchy and everybody should be involved in deciding what goes on in the church and both churches are teaching the priesthood of all believers so we're reading the same text and we're interpreting it differently in the churches among people that we love and trust so what's going on with interpreting does that eventually make us think that you know maybe the Bible is just too complicated we can't even agree maybe I'll just trust the experts on top of that, we live in a post-modern era. There are era. Cult- there are currents in our culture that make us aware that communication is complicated. We are taught that readers see whatever you want when you bring it to the text. Every reader sees something different because we all bring these different glasses to what we were reading. We're taught that our cultural perspectives blind us to what others see. And so people start saying things like, well, she's telling her truth, he's telling his truth. Instead of what used to be more common, she's telling the truth. We say it's her truth, it's his truth. That's kind of the lingo of our day. And then when we come to the Bible, which was written two to 3,000 years ago, with different understandings of how the universe is organized, different understandings of science, different understandings culturally, I think it's pretty easy to throw up our hands and say, you know what, if the experts can't even agree on the Bible, then how am I supposed to understand it when I don't have that specialized training? If the Bible says all kinds of odd and unusual things that don't make sense today, how am I supposed to know how to live from the Bible? I'm not smart enough. I'm not school enough. I haven't had enough time to interpret the Bible. And even the word for interpreting the Bible is hard to understand or to remember. Hermeneutics. I think sometimes it just gets easier to say, well, let the experts pre-digest the Bible for us and tell us what to believe. So we'll spend our time listening to great preachers and we'll read the books of good scholars whether it's Beth Moore or Richard Rohr, Megan Good or N.T. Wright. And we'll talk about theology instead of talking about what the Bible says. I hear people saying more often than I think I remember about, well, I practice the peace theology or let's talk about atonement theology or let's just simply recognize the gospel is that God loves everybody. Instead of asking us, what does the Bible say? We say, what kind of theology do you have? but I think if we would ask each other what does the Bible say, things would be more complicated, but I think they'd also be a lot more interesting. I'm concerned that we maybe set the Bible aside because we're worried that it's too hard to interpret and that we'll just be as stuck as those Israelites in a wrong interpretation somehow. Except that where they were mourning when they really should have been celebrating, we actually try and avoid mourning altogether by not even wrestling with the Scriptures with their meaning. That's my concern. If interpreting the scripture sounds like too much hard work, I'm worried that we're going to leave the Bible aside because it sounds too daunting and too difficult. And yes, I want to suggest a better approach. And the better approach I want to recommend to you and to me and to all of us in the church is that we read the Bible in fully human ways. And bear with me, I'll explain what I mean, because I think we can use all the normal interpreting things we do every day, whatever we're reading, and we can use that for the Bible. And we will discover for ourselves the joy of knowing God and how to live when we discover what's in the Bible by using our regular, everyday work of interpreting. Now, when I first read this story in Nehemiah and thought about it for this sermon, I saw how the people had this wonderful posture about how they come to Scripture with adoration with for God, with worship of God, willingness to obey and say amen. And I saw how they had a really good outcome on the other end. They were corrected and they turned from mourning to celebrating. But it wasn't clear to me immediately that this text had much to say about how to interpret. We're just told that those Levites, the liturgists, traveled around in the crowd and sort of mingled and created small groups maybe and and interpreted what Ezra was reading. But as I've looked at it more, I think maybe there are some clues here. Back in October, we had 300 Mennonite brethren from across Canada who met to study hermeneutics, how to get from there to here in interpreting the Bible. And I think the best parts of that conference, um, if we have the next slide there, were the first and the fourth steps in that process. The first step that was emphasized is what's the posture we come with to Scripture? And the last step was how do we actually live it out? Because until we actually live the way we're taught in Scripture, we haven't actually been disciples of Jesus. Just deciding how to live isn't the same as actually living it out. But then I wondered how to do those, how did the... Levites and Ezra and Nehemiah, how did they do those middle two steps? How did they interpret what for them was already scriptures of several hundred years old? And how did they figure out what to teach that they would know to tell the people to celebrate? How did they know that the people should be celebrating instead of mourning? How did they get there? So I thought more about it. and I thought if Ezra was a scribe, that means he was a scholar of the scriptures. And if the Levites were liturgists and Ezra was a priest, they were also involved in passing on the worship traditions of the church and the life. It wasn't the church in those days, it was Jewish worship um, in what was shortly becoming the worship in the synagogues. So these interpreters of scripture, they knew the ways of God's people and they knew the holy scriptures that they had. And so by study and by a life spent in scripture and living as God's people, they had a Grown into an idea and understanding of what God was like. In other words, they had come to understand that God is a God of joy who loves it when His people are following Him. And I think we can do that very same thing just like they did. We can immerse ourselves in Scripture and we can immerse ourselves in the life of God's people and we too will learn what the Bible has to say for us today. I'm going to just throw out nine, a list of nine ways in which which are really ordinary human things we can do for interpreting Scripture. I'll do them real quickly here, and we can talk about them afterwards if you want, when we, if you want to join our discussion group afterwards. Number one, we simply have to read the Bible and reread it, and read it again aloud, preferably, in churches, by ourselves, large sections, short sections. We simply have to read it. If we don't read it, it's not going to shape us. And I understand from Paul Dirksen, who spoke last week, that he made the case for why reading the Bible already will shape us. It will interpret us. Second, we need to listen to the Bible as congregation, and you're doing that today. But we need to do that in ways that we can also talk together. If I start listening through the eyes of someone beside me who has a different life experience than I have, maybe they come from another country, maybe I'm listening, what, what, what are women hearing that the men aren't hearing in this text? What do my children hear? What are the elderly hearing? If we listen to that diversity, we'll hear some new things that will help us have clarity about the Scripture. Third, we need to know the overall story of the Bible. And I'll say a little bit more in the discussion group afterwards about understanding the Bible in six chapters. We're living in chapter five, which has not been written for us. The the Bible is chapters one, two, three, and four, and chapter six. We're the church in between learning from those chapters how to create what's going on now. I'll save that for later. But we need to know the big story of the Bible. We can all do that. We don't need experts for that when we know that story well, then we will recognize that the pinnacle, the climax of the Bible is Jesus. And so we're always going to be reading with Jesus in mind and saying, what does this have to do with Jesus as we read? Number five, we can study the meanings of words and grammar. We can get out our dictionaries. We can get five or six English translations or if you know another language and start seeing how do these translations compare. It's not complicated. We read it and we compare and we can talk about it. And we'll One translation of Nehemiah 8, verse 8 says that those Levites were going paragraph by paragraph in their interpretation, bit by bit. We can do that. Number six, we can pay attention to whether the part of the Bible we're reading, is it a story? Is it a poem? Is it a history? Is it a letter? Is it a riddle? Is it a parable? Because in our normal everyday life, we know how to read those kinds of things differently the truth that I learn from my wife, from the grocery shopping list that's in our second drawer in the kitchen, I, I read that shopping list differently than I read the newspaper, and I read that differently than when I read a poem, and I read that differently than when I read a history book. And we've got all those kinds of, we have many many of those kinds of literature in the Bible, and we know that truth comes through all of that, but differently, and we can do that kind of interpretation. Number seven, we can listen to experts, to the scribes, the Bible scholars, they'll give us some insights that we didn't come up with on our own because they've had dedicated time to study the ancient peoples, the ancient cultures, the archaeology, the ancient languages, and we benefit from them as well, just like we do when we listen to experts on YouTube on how to fix my washing machine. I go to an expert because I don't know how a washing machine is built. So we know how to use expert opinion. Number eight, we can read with humble confidence. Both of those words matter. Humble that we never know everything friend of mine, uh, um, Tim Rogalski, who teaches mathematics at CMU, he said to me, and I found this line in other places, he said, the mystery we call God is not unknowable. God is not unknowable. Rather, God, who is a mystery, is endlessly knowable. We can know God and we'll never know all there is to know of God, and we can keep on knowing God. So that's the humility, that there's always more for us to learn. And yet there's the confidence that we can learn. And so we might as well start. Brother Roger Suits was the founder of the Tazay Christian Community where thousands of young people come every week um, all through spring and summer and fall and they've been doing this for 50 years in Tazé, France to pray, worship, and hear scripture and talk about the Bible. And he said to those young people in one of his journals, he said, the Bible's complicated sometimes. So if there's parts you don't understand, then at least start living out the parts you do understand. Start there. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Agree with each other on how to grow into maturity with Christ. But if at some point you disagree with me, eventually God will make that clear to you too. Just don't let go of what you've already attained. So start with what you can. And then build from there. Humility and confidence. We can do that together. The Apostle Peter writes in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 that the right. Peter writes that Paul's writings in Scripture are hard to understand. So if Peter already said that in the New Testament times, we don't need to be offended if we find some of it hard to understand. Let's keep grappling with it and see where we get to. Because it's Paul who also says in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is useful. It'll teach us how to live. It'll correct us. Even though Paul wrote that word when the Hebrew Scriptures for him were already a thousand years old, and yet he said it was useful. Human communication works. We do interpreting of what we read every day in all the things we read. We can do this for the Bible too. Now, I've only given you an eight points. And, and so you don't misunderstand me. When I say being fully human, I'm still recognizing the place of the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirits in Scripture. And in fact, I would say that listening to the Spirit, listening for the Spirit as we read Scripture, is in fact part of being human. Because we were made for God. St. Augustine wrote, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. To be really fully alive, to be a really full human, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why Jesus came. He lived, he died, and was raised so that we would die to our sinful ways and would be raised to be fully human like Jesus with the life of the Holy Spirit in us. And so my ninth thing that I want to say about reading in a fully human way means to read with an attentiveness an attentive ear for the Holy Spirit speaking through the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit will keep reminding us of Jesus as we read in every part of the Scripture, because Jesus is the inerrant word of God. Jesus is the infallible word of God. Jesus is the authoritative word of God. And as we read the scriptures, we will be brought to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will remind us of how we should then be living in the way that Jesus taught. And then we will be more fully human than we have ever been before. We can do this. We can have this joy of discovery in Scripture. We can use all our normal interpretive tools, fully human and alive, as we come to the Bible. And there we will join God's people and we will receive the joy of learning about eternal life. Not just learning about eternal life, but we will receive eternal life Dallas Willard says the one place in Scripture that eternal life is defined is in John seventeen three, And Jesus said, Eternal life is knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. This whole Bible, this whole collection of books and letters and poems, from Moses to the prophets, plus the whole New Testament, it all introduce, introduces us to Jesus, which is what Jesus pointed out on the Emmaus Road. So let's have courage. Let's read the Bible. Let's not be afraid of interpreting it. Let's do our part in interpreting it, using all our human capacities to the fullest of what God intends us to be. And when we do that, I'm convinced that God, who by His Spirit breathed into these words, will also breathe into us and will meet us, sharing the Holy Spirit of wisdom and guidance and comfort and joy with us, so that we too will live as apprentices of Jesus for the sake of the world. We too will share in the joy of God, which is our fortress. The joy of the Lord is our strength and is the joy for all people as we learn how to get from there to here. God bless us in that.
3: Thank you, Andrew, for your message, for challenging us, inspiring us, for reminding us of things. And it is all about Jesus, and we want to follow Jesus. And this morning, we have the opportunity to remember in a very real way what Jesus did for us as we come to the table and share in communion. Jesus invites us to come to the table, and we are invited to receive mercy and grace, forgiveness, new life, and freedom. In our church, we welcome all people who know Jesus to join us at the table, to join us in communion. And also want to remind you that the bread is gluten-free, so another way that all can enjoy this and, and participate this morning. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up as well as the servers. And move, I'm going to move down. Sometimes I hear from people that they don't feel worthy to participate in communion. Well, really none of us are worthy. It is a gift. We are here to receive and be reminded of grace and mercy and forgiveness from Jesus. Jesus has come. So we come to receive his grace and this table reminds us of what Jesus did for us. Scripture also calls us to examine ourselves before we come to the table. So this morning we're going to start with just some silent prayer where we can just examine our hearts before we receive the elements. And so let's take a few moments um, for quiet prayer and then I'll um, lead us. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to reveal God to us, to show us who God is, that you came to pay the price for our sin. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have left us with this gift of participating in the Lord's Supper. We're going to follow the communion litany.
6: Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. Remain in me, and I will remain in you.
3: At communion,
6: we recognize that our life, our breath, and our being are completely rooted in our relationship with Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing.
3: At communion,
6: Trust the work of the gardener, confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus.
3: At communion,
6: we remain in him. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
3: At the Lord's Supper,
6: we believe that Jesus died once for all sin. Our debt is paid Our sins are forgiven
3: at the Lord's Supper.
6: We join across generations as those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As we share one loaf and one cup, we are reminded that there is one body and one spirit, one God and father of all. There is one hope, one faith and one baptism that is given freely to all
3: at the Lord's Supper
6: Jesus said here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me
3: at the table
6: we accept the invitation of Jesus to eat with him
3: at the table
6: we share God's hospitality With those who are still hungry and thirsty, remembering the longing of God's heart that none should perish.
3: At the table.
6: And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new.
3: The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and take the free gift of the water of life.
6: The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
1: the redeemed, rising from the African plain, it's a song of the forgiven, drowning out the Amazon
2: rain,
1: a song of Asian believers, filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. It's all our children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns. It's all our children singing glory, glory,
2: hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns.
1: It rise above the winds caught up in the heavenly sound. Let the praises echo from the towers of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist. Of all the bells run from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns the powers of darkness tremble at what they've just heard. Because all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. Because all the powers of darkness tremble at what they just heard. Because all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. Song of children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns. It's all of children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, He reigns, He reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah,
4: he reigns.
3: gift to be able to share in the Lord's Supper together as a church family. At this time, the preschool to grade 12 Sunday school is dismissed, and we invite you all to stick around after church and participate in some way in what we call the exchange, either through sermon discussion at the overflow area in the back, coffee in the foyer, or if you would like to pray with someone, we have people ready to pray with you either on this side of the sanctuary by the organ or in the prayer chapel just off of the hallway. I would invite you to stand, if you're able, for the benediction this morning. The benediction this morning is from Jude, verse 24 and 25. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away, and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Go in peace. Be a blessing and be blessed this week.